This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. There's so much misinformation being put out there. And unfortunately, he believed a lot of that, you know? And I mean, we, we all can fall into that trap. That's uh, Trudy Ballard uh, of Olds, Alberta, talking about uh, the death of her father, uh, died of COVID last year, but also talking about some of the misinformation that's been out there and uh, misinformation that uh, tragically her, her own father bought into. Yeah, there's been a lot of misinformation out there during the pandemic around COVID, around vaccination. What's been the cost of that? What's been the toll of that? Is there a way to quantify that? Well, that's what a new report by the Council of Canadian Academies, uh, the CCA, an independent research organization, has attempted to do to examine the impact of misinformation. What did that contribute to in the way of infections, hospitalizations, and death? So this looks at a period from March to November of 2021. Report finds that 2,800 lives were lost and $300 million was the expense for hospitals over those nine months as a result of the spread of misinformation. So joining us to talk more about the report, how we arrive at, at this figure, what the implications of this are, very pleased to welcome the program. But one of the authors of this report, uh, Stefan Lewandowski, professor at the University of Bristol School of Psychological Science in the UK, as mentioned, one of the authors on this report. Professor Lewandowski, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me. So this seems like a real challenge to to try to measure the impact, to try to quantify the cost of misinformation, the spread of misinformation. How do you go about doing so? Yeah, absolutely. It's very difficult to do, which is one of the reasons I think it's never been done before, to our knowledge. Mm -hmm. Now, we were able to do this because we could use a case study, um, vaccine uptake in Canada, where we had a lot of data and a lot of information about all the variables uh, at play. So we knew when the vaccines became available and how much vaccines was out there. We had data about hospitalizations during that time period that you mentioned. Um, We know pretty well how COVID is spread, and we know also um, how many people subscribe to mistaken beliefs about COVID. So what we were able to do is to put all those variables together in a model that was epidemiologically and psychologically plausible. And we were able to show with that model that we can capture what actually happened in Canada as a first step. And once we knew what was actually happening, that that could could be explained by our model, we then created two additional scenarios in which we said, okay, now what would the model do if everybody was going to get vaccinated because they were not exposed to um, misinformation about the vaccines or about COVID? And what we then found is that in that other scenario, um, 2,800, between 2,800 and 3,000 fewer people would have died in Canada during that time period because they would have been vaccinated and they would have been protected. Um, 
against COVID. And likewise, we were able to estimate how many fewer people would have been in hospital during that time. Mm -hmm. Um, And from that, we could work out how much it cost to put these extra people in hospital and to care for them because they weren't vaccinated. And that's where the estimate of about $300 million in cost comes from. Okay. Well, and this is interesting. So, for example, about 80% of Canadians, give or take a bit, but around that, that, that number, have been fully vaccinated, right? So let's say, for sake of argument, there's about 20% of Canadians who have, who have not been vaccinated. And the, the idea then that, that maybe some might otherwise would have absent some of this mis- misinformation, but how do we quantify that? How do we know that those 20% yeah. would have got vaccinated had it not been for misinformation? Well, we know that from survey data about uh, the number of people uh, in Canada who are either vaccine reluctant or vaccine refusing. And we know, for example, of those who are refusing to be vaccinated, that's about roughly 7% of the population. Of those, three quarters believe that COVID is either a hoax or that the disease is exaggerated. So we know what the prevalence of misinformation is among those people. We also know that of those people who refuse to be vaccinated, about 85% think that the government is covering up uh, side effects of vaccines now, which is not the case. But that is the false belief that is being held by those people. And so we know um, what it is that those people believe. And we can then say, well... You couldn't possibly believe that unless somebody is providing you with information about it that in this case happens to be false. So I think we can conclude that it is the misinformation that at least is a major factor in driving people's decision not to get vaccinated. So as to the spread of misinformation, um, you know, it, it, it's certainly a problem, and I think that would be widely acknowledged. But to what extent is it a problem? How, you know... How do we know whether there's too much misinformation, only a small amount of misinformation? Like, how do, how do we go about quantifying that? Well, that's also, you know, quite, quite difficult. But we do have the tools, uh, you know, through network analyses, social media and so on, to, to come to some understanding of that. And specifically when it comes to vaccinations, there are some recent studies suggesting that uh, anti-vaccination content is... Uh, unfortunately, on the uptick, and that if we do nothing, that, you know, in 10 or 15 years, it might actually be overwhelming real health information on the Internet. So that concern exists. We also have pretty good evidence to show that um, misinformation tends to spread faster and further than correct information on on social media. Um, And there, there is a you know, an easy explanation for that. And that is that most misinformation, because by definition, it is not bound to truth, can be outrage provoking, and it can be novel, and it can be, you know, anger evoking and interesting. Basically, it can be clickbait. And so people click on this stuff, and they read it, and they find it much more seductive then correct information, which, you know, if it comes from a public health organization, is probably pretty dry and, you know, factual and is trying to inform you. But it's perhaps less interesting than false information. 
so much that can be done about it. I mean, that's that's the other side of it, that you can try to counter it. You know, studies like this are helpful in, in highlighting the impact. But is there much more right. we can well, do? Indeed. Well, you have to pursue a multi-pronged approach. I mean, there's no silver bullets. Um, but there's a number of things you can do. I mean, one thing, of course, is to look at the algorithms on social media platforms and to, um, you know, audit them and make sure that they're in the public interest. And if they're not, then maybe we have to tell the platforms that they can't do that. Um, you know, and that is something that is being uh, done in Europe now. The European Union has passed various uh, laws and initiatives that are pointing in the direction of greater accountability of the platforms. Um, the other thing we can do, and this is uh, highlighted in our report, is to present the public with the tools necessary to identify misinformation. Uh, we call that process inoculation because it is much like a medical vaccine where you teach people how to recognize when they're being misled. You know, for example, as I already said, most misleading information is highly emotive and it is playing on your fears. And whenever you feel that somebody is making you fearful or outraged or angry, then, well, you should be very careful about that piece of information because there is every probability that it's uh, not high quality information. And there's a lot of evidence showing that we can inoculate people in that manner. Really interesting. Do you, do you think that there's a need to to replicate this elsewhere, uh, or can the you know the Canadian experience, the Canadian data, can that help inform a lot of this globally? Well, the uh, absolutely. I think well, both both things are true. Number one, we have to replicate this in other countries to underscore the generality of our model and how we estimate the cost, but. Conversely, um, what we have done here can can inform other countries because surely, um, you know, uh, in, in with very few exceptions, most countries do have a certain small segment of the population that refuses to get vaccinated, and and for them, it is very important to know how much that costs. Absolutely. Well, really important and uh, fascinating research, Professor Lewandowski. We'll leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us here this morning. Appreciate it. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.